This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the rest of my Times Radio Show. Don't forget you can listen live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1, on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or on your Times Radio app. And if you do listen live, tell your friends. Go around to the house, retune their radios, if you fancy that. Right, coming up on today's episode, then, we're going... We haven't done this for a very long time. We are polling in the deep. Yes, it's lots of song puns with the word poll in it. Uh, but, more importantly, giving you lots of clever things to say about what's going on under the bonnet of uh, surveys. We've got Robert Hayward and Tanya Abraham, our new Polling of the Deep panel, to guide us through uh, what is really going on with the polls. Uh, that's coming up in just a moment. First, as ever, though, on a Monday, it's time for this. The Colonists with Libby Rachie, Libby Purvis and Rachel Sylvester on Times Radio. And we say a very good morning to Rachel Vesters in the studio. Morning, Rachel. Morning. And very good morning to Libby. Morning, Libby. Hello. Uh, Rachel, let's talk about um, what happened to all of the young liberal female leaders who, for, for a moment, they were, they were doing the pandemic better than everyone else. There was the future, you know, whether it was uh, in New Zealand or in Scotland or in Finland. And now they're sort of all dropping... One by one, the latest news, Serena uh, Sanna Marin, uh, Finland's Prime Minister, uh, has been uh, ejected at the general election. She's come third, her party, the Social Democrats. What's going on? Well, I think it's a bit more complicated than that because you could equally look at this week and say we've got Donald, you know, the populists, uh, the male, white male populists are being thrown out. So Donald Trump about to be arrested, Boris Johnson under investigation uh, for from a parliamentary yeah. committee. So, I mean, I wonder whether actually it's about polarising leaders, the mm. leaders who fall on one side or the other of the culture. So these kind of young female liberal uh, women who who appealed perhaps outside their own country as yeah. more than within their own country on the one side. And then these kind of right wing white males on the other side, both are kind of slightly turning off the voters, perhaps. And in fact, you know, people are looking for something a bit less divisive. What do you think, Libby? What's going on here? Uh, I I don't... I think it's not just that. I think there are things about Sanna herself. Uh, you know, this sudden announcement that she would... Uh, Finland would donate its F-18 fighters to Ukraine and her own foreign secretary hadn't been consulted and said, look, she's a supermodel, she's too full of herself, knows little about aeroplanes. Um, I think... Uh, 
I think sometimes there's a sort of there's a there's a terrific image surrounds somebody, and that that will cause great hostility in some quarters as well as attraction in another. And she has certainly um, she has groomed that uh, that kind of image. Uh, so I think that's one of the reasons for for the downfall. But yeah, I think the liberalism is slowly going out of fashion. Matt, you're just going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> have to live live with your liberal ideals slowly dying around us. But it's, it's, I, I agree partly with Rachel, but I do think that she was a particular figure and there were particular reasons that people got irritated by her. And is it also, um, Libby, do you think that, that British British politicos who, who follow these things got very excited about Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand because she seemed different to Boris Johnson. Santa Marin, she seemed like a lot of fun. She was dancing at parties and we could all be very right on and say, isn't it marvellous she's dancing at parties? What a lovely thing for a Prime Minister to be doing. Actually, without anybody bothering to look at, well, how's the economy doing these countries? Are they, are they delivering on their policies? You know, um, uh, young, liberal, attractive women abroad looking, you know, doing things which we find mildly uh, 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 pleasing from a British perspective... We, we, is it, I suppose it's a reminder, we, we actually have to look at what are they actually doing as politicians rather than personalities. Well, everybody everybody loves a sense of youth and freshness yeah. going on somewhere in the world. People felt that with Obama. People felt that with Tony Blair. Um, you know, it, it's it's quite it, it's irresistible. But I mean, we've we've had our party girls. I mean, Therese Coffey and, and Liz Truss. <laughs> I mean, well known party girls larking around together, not quite, yeah, not didn't quite so young good, or glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. But what I'm saying is, look, there there is this thing about oh, here's a wonderful fresh new kind of leader. I mean, the Jacinda Ardern worship especially when she was actually rather screwing up over COVID, what well, was extraordinary. Mm. You know, loads of people say, I'm going to move to New Zealand. It's just a marvellous country. You know, but then again, you look, it doesn't always work. Um, you know, maybe we need some old buffers, you know, who know, know, been around the houses and know what they're doing. I also wonder, Rachel, whether there's a moment happening in politics, a bit like actually we saw after the financial crash, where a sort of post-COVID political thing, where just whoever was holding the ball at the time that it happened... Right across the world, governments were, th were thrown out after the financial crash because partly people wanted to change in the, whether they were culpable or not. I just wonder if there's just that, you know, it's another reminder. And actually what we've had, we've had so many promises since COVID, maybe we've got that out of our system possibly. But, you, you know, that we, we want to move on from that. The person who was on the telly throughout the pandemic telling us, what well, we just had enough of you, whatever, wh whoever you are or whatever party you're from. And this, this sort of sense of change is does seem to be happening in, in some yeah, places. Yeah, I think, and it also links with your previous point, that people want somebody who delivers, mm. and nobody was really able to deliver during the pandemic because yeah. nobody knew what to do. It yeah. was really hard. Um, so whoever was in charge had a tough time uh, and couldn't live up to whatever was needed, really, yeah. or what the expectations were. And also so I think lost two, things, two or three years of doing the of, other stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So I think you have to, politicians have to prove that people's lives have got better. Uh, and and I'm, I think a lot of people don't feel their lives have got better, both economically yeah. and because of the pandemic over the last three or four years. We interested. I mean, obviously we've we've had in some you know other places. Obviously Macron uh, won again in France, but so, so we interested to see if this is repeated in other countries. This sort of sense of it's time for a change being the big um, the big uh, slogan. And whether time for a change can be within a party. So as you say, we've been through so many parties. Can we see so many be prime the change candidate? Can, exactly. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. Well, let's talk about what he's um, he's announcing today. Uh, Rishi Sunak announcing a, uh, a grooming gangs task force uh, saying that political correctness has fuelled the sexual, sexual exploitation of 
of Chiltern. Seems pretty, well, it seems pretty extraordinary, this, but blaming it on uh, political correctness um, uh, rather than, I don't know, government policy, given that, as the Labour Party is pointing out today, that some of what's been announced today, um, others have been calling for for a decade. Well, my problem with this story is it goes back to a story that the Times broke back yeah. in 2011 when yeah. Andrew Norfolk did a very brave and um, brilliant story about uh, grooming in Rotherham. Mm. Um, and so it's 13 years ago. And since then, we had a, Louise Casey did a review of the whole thing then in 2015. And she then warned about people being, the police being nervous because of cultural sensitivities about tackling the perpetrators. Mm. But that's a long time ago. And so what has happened since? And there have subsequently been other other inquiries saying actually it's very hard to put a sort of ethnic dimension on this. So I was sort of slightly reminded of the Mrs Merton thing to um, uh, Debbie McGee. What is it about the millionaire Paul Daniels that attracts yeah. you to him? You know, what is it about this dog whistle policy yeah. that attracts you to it? They're, why are they framing it in this way? Fine to have a policy about tackling child sex abuse, incredibly important, but why frame it in this way if you don't want to blow the dog whistle? So the full the full quote from uh, Rishi Sunak uh, is, uh, the safety of women and girls is paramount. For too long, political correctness has stopped us from weeding out vile criminals who prey on children and young women. Well, and that's word, not true, is it? Well, it's well, just well, not true. Unless it's just, uh, I mean, the us is almost as important there. Yeah. It's the, conserv the conservative government of which he is a part. The, 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 the supposedly, you know... Uh, the Conservative government stands up to political correctness and wokeness and all of that. Um, Libby, what do you think of this? I mean, I, my other sort of slight, slight feeling is that it's quite a risky strategy from Rishi Sunak. It's a bit like the small boats thing. Putting up in lights something that they haven't done anything about. I just feel that in a sloppily run country, badly damaged by many years of George Osborne and David Cameron's austerity policy, which benefited only the rich, uh, it's irritating to have one particularly disgusting crime and then sort of say we're going to tackle that. This is about funding social services and police and police training. It's about keeping children's homes good and properly supervised. Um, I think the lesson about ethnic squeamishness has been learned. But it's all these practical things which just need to be done. And the, the poor running and the, and the squeezing of local authorities and so on. This, this, is, this is what the problem is. But just to sort of say we're going to save a lot of children from being groomed by evil people who probably will be brown. You know, that's that's just not helpful. It's irritating. They ought to look at the much wider picture, the kind of thing that Rachel's commissions are always sorting out. Uh, but, but also, I think it is timed ahead of the local elections, isn't it? It's deliberately timed to try and tap into a certain, um, you know, people's, some voters' worst instincts. And it is uh, blowing the dog whistle. As Libby says, you know, I think that squeamishness has been recognised and dealt with. Uh, and if not, it would be called out very yeah, quickly. Yeah. But it's just it's just the use of word political correctness of like, mm. well, we couldn't do anything because of our, you know, we were worried about political correctness. It just seems... It just seems mad. Well, who was worried? Yeah, who was worried about it? Yeah. To say it was us. We. Us. Well, it's you. You've yeah. been in government for such a long time. Um, yeah, and so, uh, and again, it's one of those things where you think, well, if the they clearly think that they're dragging the Labour Party onto their turf mm. and therefore they can they can outdo them. But I do wonder if the reaction of the public will just be, well, you've done nothing on this. But the only problem for Labour is what are they saying that is counteracting yeah, yeah. this narrative? So they haven't got, back to your point about Patrick Maguire and the slogans, yeah. they haven't got a strong enough message that's counteracting the sort yeah. of dog whistle. Yeah. 
It's sort of, Michael Howard, are you thinking what we're thinking? Yeah. Um, which didn't work, but but you have to have a sort of counter-narrative if you're Labour. Yeah, so uh, I've already forgotten what uh, Keir Starmer's latest slogan is. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Patrick Maguire's column is very good on this in the, in the, in the Times today. Uh, he's now up to 12 slogans. He could do better than things can only get better. Brit Britain, Britain, is it Britain? Britain-related? <laughs> uh, oh, I can't remember. Can you remember what it is, Libby? Oh, build a better oh. Britain. There we are. Build a better Britain. Which that is... sounds like build back better, wasn't that Boris Johnson's one? It was better, yeah. Mm. Which is different to fairer, greener future on your side. Security, prosperity, respect, which is different to work, care, equality, security. On and on and on it went. Let's turn to a story now that I'm pretty sure you're going to have views on. Uh, <laughs> the theatre. What people are getting up to in theatres. Once subject to the strict protocols of social etiquette, the Times reports, British theatres have now become filled with drunken and aggressive patrons who vomit and physically assault staff, according to ushers on the front line. Is this your experience, Libby? Uh, not really, but if ushers say it is happening, it is. Uh, I mean, they're, they're not lying. And I think the big jukebox musicals, which are advertised as best party in town and all that, uh, um, people are taking hen parties and stag parties and having a great laugh. And yes, uh, it's going on. And the ushers who are generally not very well paid and tend to be true believers and want to be involved with the theatre and love it, you know, it's not fair on them. Um, it doesn't tend to happen as much, I think, in straight plays. Uh, you're not going to get, and certainly not in the grander theatre. I mean, the Almeida louts in Islington, you're just, it's just not going to happen. What happens, in, what happens in the Almeida is that people just, just decide they don't like it, get up and walk out and go back to Ottolenghi over the road. Uh, but, uh, no, I think it, it is a problem, but it's part of a much, much, much bigger behaviour problem. Mm. Public behaviour has really gone down. People say, oh, it's after COVID, people aren't used to being out together, but it was happening before COVID. It's everything from the shouting and yelling and beer and feats on seat and trains to jostling and pushing and shoving and just bad manners. And I think obviously that means that people pay quite a lot of money for a ticket and they yeah. think it's me, I'm entitled, I'm expressing myself, you know, and, and people are now saying to kids, you know, oh, it's, it's they must express themselves at all times. And actually, there's a lot of lousy public behaviour. Yeah, people yeah. are badly behaved. It's not just theatres, but I'm really pleased that the ushers are standing up for themselves. Well, we've got, we've um, got an usher. We can speak to an usher. Joe Postlethwaite is, uh, works at a theatre in the West End. Morning, Joe. Hello. Uh, so tell us then, paint a picture. How bad does it get? What's what's the worst behaviour you've seen when you've been working in the theatre? Um, our probably our worst one that we've had in many years. Uh, we had a group of, I want to say eight, if I'm remembering correctly, who were denied entry upon arrival because they were clearly drunk and clearly weren't suitable to be in to be at the show that evening um to which they were told by our security team look lads not happening tonight here have a have a card of one of our managers get in touch you know we'll try and sort of sort this out at a later date but tonight we, we can't let you in it's not going to happen who then kicked a bit of a fuss went to walk away and then decided against that uh and then tried to make a run at the front of the building which was swiftly <laughs> stopped wow. um, by our fantastic security team. However, in the process, one of our managers was punched in the back of the head. What? Yeah. They were obviously very keen to see the show. 
Um, and what about, blimey, I mean, it's extraordinary. And what about inside? Do you get this sort of people getting their phones out, people joining in and shouting and, and vomiting, as this story in the Times suggests? Uh, yeah, I mean, the theatre I work with is a particular case on its on its type of audience. And we, we quite specifically do welcome people who maybe have not been not familiar with the, the standardised theatre etiquette. But yeah, we do. We always yeah. get a fair amount of people who are on the phone. What is part of our job as ushers to kind of go over and be like, hey, can you what, just turn that off for us? What about um, you? What about you, Rachel? Do you do you go and shout and vomit when you go to the theatre? <laughs> well, the last play I saw was a streetcar named Desire, which was the Almeida production yeah, yeah. last oh, week, and, the, and uh, it was very civilized. Very civilized. I'm but sure. It was. I, I'm actually want to defend theatre goers a little go bit because I think it, it, obviously all the things that um, Joe's describing are appalling. You're not defending punishing people. No, or yeah. vomiting. Yeah. But the fact that people really want to go to the theatre and are having a great time yeah. uh, is brilliant, and I love going to the theatre, yeah. and I don't vomit or punch people. Yeah. But the fact that people are doing it. As a great night out and it's back to Shakespeare and the Globe and I'm sure there was loads of vomiting and punching <laughs> in the Globe when the original the Hamlet original was um, yeah, put, yeah, yeah. put on uh, and it, it should be something that's that's fun and I think that there's a danger with the sort of social um, dimension to this that you know the a new kind of person going to the theatre is slightly frowned upon I think yeah. we should be pleased that uh, lots of different kinds of people want to go to theatre. And they're so expensive, the tickets. Yeah. You know, that's why people want to make a night of it, make a weekend <laughs> of it, you know. And it's probably better if you don't turn up, Slosh, because you'll, you'll miss Well, exactly. Obviously, you shouldn't punch people or vomit. Yes. But I think if people are having a great time, that's yeah. that should be defended. Uh, and, um, Joe, is it sort of just pockets, or do you, do you find yourself, do you have marauding crowds of people or is it just do the rest of the the, the, the audience get cross um yeah usually when we've got a, a troublesome group who who are then in need of being evicted by our team um usually if 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 unfortunately that happens whilst the show is on and the curtain is up we yeah. do have to have a slight delay in dealing with these people um the rest of the audience usually will cheer and applaud once they are removed. A lot of people they're will. making a noise, then you've got to kick them out, and then some other people will cheer. It's a never-ending. It's a never-ending. Well, Joe, I hope, I hope that, that, that maybe this survey, because 90% of people who work in theatre said they've had this uh, bad bad audience behaviour. Uh, and 7 in 10 thought the problem had got worse since, uh, since the pandemic. Uh, Joe, best of luck with it. I hope you don't have any more people being punched in the back, back of the head. Libby Perry is Rachel Sylvester there, and you can read the stories where we were discussing. Just hit the links in the podcast description and get yourself a Times subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, we're polling in the deep. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The 
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Yes, we know, we know, we know. The latest polls still show that Labour's, what, 20 points ahead of the Conservatives and are on course to win the next general election. But is that really true? Does that really give us the full picture of what's happening when it comes to political opinion? So it's time to go behind the headlines to really dig into the polling and find out the five most important things that you need to know that you can pass off as your own bits of wisdom and insight. It can only mean one thing. Yeah, it's been a while since we've done this, but we're bringing about polling in the deep, uh, taking you through the very latest surveys, analysis, and the nuts and bolts that are under the bonnet uh, to find out what's really going on. We are joined by Tory Peer and polling expert Robert Hayward. Morning, Robert. Good morning. And uh, Tanya Abraham from uh, YouGov. Morning, Tanya. Good morning. Uh, first, then, uh, let's start with you, Robert. Just explain for us when we talk about polling, what is it, and what can it tell us, and what could it not tell us? <laughs> I can do that for about an hour. (laughs) And I'm sure Tanya could do it for even longer. Um, In essence, what it is, is taking the views of the people who are most likely to vote and assessing whether they have moved from where they were previously and how likely they are to move again, either back to where they were before or on to another party. Fine. So let's get stuck into this because we want to really, we know about the headline figures, we want to get under the bonnet. So uh, we've got five of these and I haven't heard them, so we'll all enjoy them together. Uh, this is the first thing you need to know about British politics right now. One for the young people there. Right, so we'll start with the Conservatives then. Uh, Tanya, tell me about uh, Tory returnees. Who are these people that may or may not be going back to the Conservatives? Yeah, as we know, um, currently Labour are holding around a 20-point um, lead in the polls at the moment. And one of the groups that people are kind of very interested in are those returnees, those unsure v- voters um, who voted for the Conservative Party in 2019, but currently say they don't know whether they will vote for the same party again or indeed which way they'll be voting. Um, and this group are particularly interesting because unsure voters, um, according to many people, are usually easier to win back because there's more flexibility in terms of where they could go. When it comes to this group of those who voted Conservatives at the last election, but now say that that they don't know, 22% are saying that they are unsure if they could vote for this party um, in the future. And many would actually consider voting um, for other parties. If we look at um, unsure, this group of unsure voters who would consider voting for the Conservatives and at least one other party, of which there are around 53% um, within this smaller group, if they did move, many would go to uh, you know a more left-leaning uh, party. Um, Around 78% say they would go this way. Um, And of this group, 61% say they would vote Labour, which considering how we are looking um, at the polls in the moment, it's really important to factor in the considerations of this unsure group and how they may vote come, come, you know, general election day. It's really interesting that, Robert. Fewer than half the people who voted Conservative last time still say that they would. 
But so many of them are saying they're undecided and actually splitting in different directions, some going Labour, some going Reform. So what what could the Conservatives do to try and tempt people back? I think what we're seeing is uh, Rishi Sunak as Prime Minister and his government are attempting to display a degree of competence, uh, not just on economy, but on, on issues in general, uh, and also one or two other matters which they've identified as key targets. And they take the view that that will pull back a large block of those unsure Conservatives. There's no question that this is causing polling companies difficulties because they have to work out what might happen and these are a, clearly a fluid group. Uh, interestingly enough, I think what is we're seeing is, I think, reform are being overestimated. People are saying, yes, but I can't see any evidence they actually know who they are, what they are or anything <laughs> like that. And in, equally, I think Labour... And I'm not trying to underestimate the problems the Tories face. They they were in a very difficult position. They're still in a difficult position. They aren't yeah. out of the woods. But I think Labour are being overestimated at the expense of the Lib Dems. Because if you ask people, do they know who the leader of the Lib Dems is? Most of them don't. But when it comes to local elections, a fair number of these people will vote for the Lib Dems. So we have all sorts of cross-flows, and that's what makes uh, polling so interesting to saddos like myself and, and Tanya, who gets a few pennies for it. And when the when the Conservatives are trying to work out, well, you know, they, their best chance basically is getting people back who oh, are trying to find new voters. Yeah. Um, there is a risk, if they try to chase the reform people, that they lose more people to the Labour side. You know, if you go too much, you know, maybe we're seeing this now with the crime stuff and law and order and the small boats. Clearly, that's trying to get the sort of UKIPI reform vote. But there's a risk you lose more people out to the left. There's no question that that is a risk. And while I think that the actual figures for reform, though small, are overestimated, there's no question that the Tory party has decided, and quite probably quite rightly, in a number of parts of the country, particularly what mm. we've discussed over the last few years as red wall territory to go on the subject of law and order and also immigration. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting in the YouGov polls that there has been a rising uh, concern about immigration mm -hmm. to coincide with the Conservatives talking about it. And it's interesting, Tanya, maybe the sort of the main one major takeaway from this is when you talk about the don't knows, the 20 in the most recent YouGov poll, 20% of those Conservative 2019 voters saying they don't know, which is about the same as the total loss to both Labour and Reform. So they make up such a big group when we're talking about it, and they don't count in the current headline polls because they're saying they don't know how they would vote. Yeah, absolutely. They're a very kind of valuable um, group of people that both parties will be wanting to tap into. And just as um, was mentioned just now about the issues that people will find important, both parties will want to really address um, or at least, you know, address and talk about these issues that people are uh, finding to be very important, because it's only really if um, the voter, if people think that these parties will address them accurately and effectively, that hopefully they'll, you know, translate this into a vote in the ballot box. Yeah, it's interesting that. And there's that, the, the, the YouGov poll in the Times today about how Rishi Sunak, uh, the, the more he's talked about small boats, the less convinced the public seem to be that he'll be able to address them. Let's move on then, because uh, we've got plenty to get through. Uh, that was number one. This is our second lesson. Poll with it. I'm less, less, even less sure about that one. Right, let's turn our attention to the Labour Party then. Uh, Tanya, 
Keir Starmer is polling less well than the Labour Party. Give us give us the, the, the sense of the numbers on this and then what that might mean for Keir Starmer. Yeah, so when we look at the party leader and the party as a whole, uh, Keir Starmer is um, seen as, as kind of less favourable um, than the party. Um, it should be probably added that um, this is probably slightly better than the Conservative equivalents, but... Um, as an individual, he is seen less favourably compared to to the party. Um, when it when we think about you know the the run up to the election, what people will think about uh, Labour and the leader, it all kind of plays into each other because the confidence people will feel towards a party leader will you know effectively translate into into whether they might vote um, for this party. So it's something that. I know has been discussed quite a lot um, yeah. in terms of um, personal traits and, and competence and whether, um, you know, Keir Starmer could actually do the job as PM. And what tactically can can the Labour Party do about that, Robert? When So on the most recent YouGov, on the, who would make the best Prime Minister? Keir Starmer's got a four-point lead over Rishi Sunak, but they've got a 20-point lead on voter intention. Now, does that mean that as we get close to the election which is actually what happened in 2015. Everyone thought, well, eventually, because Ed Miliband was always behind on that, that metric, eventually people start thinking of Keir Starmer as being Prime Minister of Material and therefore they vote Labour. Or does the concern about him drag them down? That is the real problem for the Labour Party in that there is the prospect that it does drag them down. There are some people who spend the time analysing polls like myself who actually take the view that best PM is a better measure than voting intention at any point. Because in economic terms, voting intention could be described as a lagging indicator. In other words, people move parties more slowly than they do their perception of the party leader or their views on particular policies. Uh, and that's where the Labour Party do have the worry because Rishi Sunak is rating higher than the Tories, but as, just, as uh, Tanya just said, not as markedly differently as the Labour versus Keir Starmer. So it's... It's what you drive in one direction or another for different political parties yeah. to maximise your party vote come a general election. It's all right, though, because Stevenage Woman is going to save Keir Starmer, we read today. Uh, this, uh, this think tank, Labour Together, has identified Stevenage Woman. Uh, at the last election, uh, these disillusioned suburbanites, suburbanites, sorry, uh, backed the Conservatives by 44 to 35 for Labour. Uh, but now they favour Labour by 51%, 23% with the Conservatives. Uh, they are... Uh, um, uh, should we get hung up on these groups, though, though Tanya? Uh, we had Workington Man at the last election. Uh, there's the suggestion in this research that Workington Man has gone back to the Labour Party, having switched the Conservatives in the, in the, in the red wall. How, how concerned should Labour be about Stevenage Woman? I think it's something that we should, um, you know notice in terms of what this tells us and what this is telling us is that the um, interest the most important kind of priorities to people have perhaps slightly changed in terms of firstly what they're getting on a personal level because I think the Stevenage woman you know was worried about how policies and um, what the impacts are for not only her family but her town mm. the level of disillusionment that some people have towards politics more generally um, and 
you know what this means on a on a wider basis so I, I think it indicates that both parties do have have a lot of work to do and when we think about the next PM in waiting the next government uh, in governing party in waiting almost half at the moment don't think Starmer and Labour mm. really fit into that category um, however does he does Dharma need to do you know exceedingly well? Um, he's not doing great, but he's doing much better than Jeremy Corbyn was doing. Yeah. Um, people perhaps aren't that enthusiastic about Dharma, but you know, is maybe that's you know for the for the best he's kind of got that kind yeah, of yeah. steady level playing field. Um, and does it need to be excessively? Um, greater than it currently is does it need to be um you know such a big difference compared to what we are now in order for people to really um see the benefits of what Starmer and labor could bring i was just going to add in relation to that that um because you listed uh, one or two we've also had mondeo man so you know we get we get a title for each set of elections. And the poor people who live there get besieged by journalists. <laughs> Absolutely. Fox popping. Out on the streets. Yeah. But also, it's interesting that Labour have identified, Labour think tank have, have identified females yeah. because the big issue for, um, the, the biggest single issue for people at the moment is cost of living. Mm. And cost of living is oriented towards females and therefore that's why the two are tied in because it is perceived as being important. But we'll have, have a look at the uh, the polling on the big issues. Uh, right, time for our third lesson from the polls. Like polling. Okay, uh, we are getting into uh, the issues uh, you were just touching on uh, there, uh, Roberts. Um, the economy, 63% of people saying the economy is top, then uh, their top issue, then health on 44%, immigration on 35%. How much of that is set, though, by what politicians are talking about? There's clearly people's life experience and cost of living is like, you know, that's money in your pocket. But people only become worried about immigration to some extent when politicians keep talking about it. There are certain issues about which, as you say, um, consciousness, consciousness rises when they are discussed, not only by politicians, but by yourselves in the media because you're responding mm. to the politicians' comments. Uh, and immigration is clearly one of those. Uh, but cost of living uh, and health... Health has been driven by COVID uh, and also strikes. And it's one of the reasons I mm -hmm. think that the Tories have flatlined in recent months and Rishi is also flatlined, uh, is because of the strikes by nurses. So there, there are issues there. But cost of living, that's quite definitely driven by individual perception when they're going shopping. Uh, we've seen the level of food prices, etc. Uh, and, and Tanya, when uh, the Conservatives are talking much more on crime and law and order and immigration, is that in part to change the conversation, to drag the Labour Party onto a onto a, a policy where they feel they are stronger because they're quite obviously not winning on the economic argument because the economies are not in great shape? Yeah, I think parties will want to play to their strengths in terms of... Um how people perceive their actions and uh, policies to be. However, given that the top issues at the moment are, you know, things like the economy, health and immigration, like you said, we also need to consider how well uh, people think parties would be able to handle mm. these issues. And in the past, we've seen that the Conservatives have historically been better seen as uh, handling issues like uh, the economy, like immigration and crime, for example. But nowadays, that's very much a kind of mixed bag and 
much more muted than it used to be, where at the moment, um, Labour are seen as uh, more competent to handle the economy by around kind of 26% compared to 20% who say the Conservatives. Um, a similar case for um, unemployment, 29% say that Labour would be better able to handle unemployment compared to 18% who say the Conservatives. Mm. And um, immigration is also less of a obvious story where I think more people say they don't actually know which party would be better able to handle it. So while, um, you know, people have specific opinions on which party can, you know, more effectively tackle these issues, um, we also need to think about um, whether the priorities, even the ones that were spoken about by Rishi Sunak in terms of those, you know, those five yeah. kind of flagship areas that he was looking to to tackle. And at the moment, the majority is saying the government is handling all of these uh, priorities pretty badly, um, which which isn't a, a great omen, really. Yeah, it, yeah. And, and the more they talk about it, the more people notice they're not handling very well. And then it's become sort mm -hmm. of slightly self-fulfilling. Right, let's move on then. Let's have uh, polling lesson number four. Oh, it's those two. Go uh, right, let's talk about the role of the smaller party. We've touched on it a bit with reform, uh, Robert. Current voting attention in the YouGov poll. Lib Dems on 9%, SNP on 3 but obviously they only stand in part of the country. But reform are on 7 the Greens are on 7 Um What difference can they make? What's the What should we be looking at with the smaller parties? And at what point, if the Lib Dems start ticking up, at what point they start making a big difference? I think it's not purely a question of the numbers, mm. and I do think the Lib Dems will do better in local elections coming up on May the 4th um, than the national polls suggest they usually do in local mm. elections. But there's also the impact of psychology because the politicians are terribly nervous beasts. They're probably, uh, some of, I'd say my colleagues describing, as un, describing them as unstable in many ways, but they can see a headline and they've got to say, oh, we've got to respond to this, we've got to respond to that. And it's unnerved politicians that are the total distraction of people who are trying to organise a campaign, whether it be the Prime Minister or the Leader of the Opposition or whoever it may happen to be, because people further down the, the organisation say, we've got to respond. So it's not just the polling numbers, it's actually the perception that matters. Um, and Tanya, what should we be making of the SNP? Because clearly, you know, SNP on 3% in the headline voting attention polls for the whole of the Britain, but they're on much, much more than that in Scotland. But if they start coming down and if Labour start ticking up in that, those Scottish polls, that make and the Lib Dems actually, that makes a massive difference to the ultimate numbers at a general election. Yeah, I think that's a, an interesting point to make. And um, obviously the um, elections that we will see, you know, depending on what issues are important and how they address it um, would be really uh, crucial. And when it comes to the smaller parties, like has been mentioned before, those smaller parties do tend to make perhaps a bigger difference or seen to make a, bit, a bigger difference on a local election uh, basis. But how that splits out into the effect on the SNP is something that we will potentially have to to kind of wait and see because um, there are areas that are stronger in one party compared to others. So, uh, for example, um, if we look at the national polls today, we could see that, you know, 14% of um, 2019 Conservative voters say they'll vote for the Reform Party. And this is an example of tackling those issues that are well known amongst one party, but adopting it in uh, for another party. So this might be something that um, the SNP sees as well. 
Well, we'll see how that uh, pans out. Let, let's uh, move on then. We've got one more to try and fit in. Uh, one more song on the polling jukebox. Polling, polling, polling. Robert's enjoying that one. <laughs> Show my age, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, you touched on it, um, Robert. Let's talk about the local elections. Uh, they're uh, coming up May the 4th. Um, what, uh, where, we sh where we sh should we be keeping an eye out for? There's a whole range, but if I just choose one yes. for you. That's what we want. Uh, Sheffield. Sheffield. Uh, on the basis that Labour, Conservative, Lib Dems and Greens have interests in, in wards across the city. And what, uh, depending on the result, what does that tell us, bigger picture? It will say whether the small parties are continuing to grow, whether their organisation is secure, um, whether they can really tackle a big party like the Labour Party. Um, so the Labour Party launched their campaign in Swindon and that would their the party leaders go to places they yeah. think they're going to do well in. But So you could look at Sheffield or Swindon or Stevenage for that matter. Yeah. But it will tell a lot about the potential organisation because the parties, uh, the, sorry, the pollsters work out national equivalent votes on the basis of, of the elections wherever they take place and say this is what a general election would look yeah. like and that's the key element. It's interesting your point about saying that um, uh, leaders go where they think they're going to do well. Keir Starmer goes to Swindon. Um, Rishi Sunak went to the West Midlands and didn't tell anyone. That's how confident they were about how they were going to do. Uh, Tanya, where, where's your place to watch in the uh, in the local elections? Um, I think somewhere where, um, you know, carrying on from the point that was made before about the national polls kind of not necessarily always um, being able to to see how well smaller parties are doing, potentially areas where um, the Lib Dem Liberal Democrats um, are able to potentially do quite well. Um, maybe a couple of um, Surrey seats like Waverley and uh, Surrey Heath um, to be able to show us how well the Lib Dems are doing because um, like has been mentioned before on a grassroots kind of local level they're always seen as, as fairly competent and um, have a big support network as well. It's interesting that's that sort of the donut around London the, the, the suburban seats the Conservatives have done quite well but the, the demographics have changed and it seems you know, there's more remainery, more, you know, shifting to the left. The Lib Dems have that chance in the middle-class counties, mm -hmm. including Hertfordshire, Warwickshire, Cheshire, and in fact, Ed Davey launched their campaign in Hertfordshire. In Hertfordshire, yeah. It's really interesting. There. Top tip there, look where they go uh, to launch their campaigns because it means they'll probably do well there um, unless they don't tell you that they've gone there, in which case it's quite hard to work out what they think is going on. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.